upcoming presentation is a two-man power trip of wrestling podcast production. And now for something completely different. Hey, I was, I'm a Hall of Famer. I'm in three Halls of Fame. For the young fans, they don't give a damn. They just give a damn about themselves and what they're hearing now. And I got no problem with those rules. I know the rules going in. I'm happy to play the game that way. And when Ivan came off with that uh, knee drop from the top rope and he bent me, I thought that something happened. I couldn't hear a thing. You could have heard the pin drop in that arena. It touched me so deeply that when I went in the dressing room, I really felt depressed. I'll tell you that, I'll tell you right to his face. If it's Hogan and I, if he wanted to get in a real street fight with me, trust me, he would lose. And he knew it. You know, that's the other thing. They give you the belt and they're like, okay, you're in charge of me. I was like, what? When you mentioned a guy like Harley Race, that kind of legendary status, it's obvious why people would get upset. Or as I'm concerned, Roddy Piper was not a wrestler. He wasn't even a good worker. If he had to go out and work his way to the top and not have good friends like Jim Barnett. I mean, I'm not, I'm not saying he's not a good guy. He's just not a tough guy. Bro, I swear to you, I don't have an ego. Like, I don't give a crap. I, that stuff is not important to me. People don't know me. They have no idea of who I am. They know of me as being a fictional character that they saw on TV. People didn't understand that, you know, the guy they saw in the ring that happened to be using his real name and happened to actually be the president of the company, they really believed that that guy that they loved to hate was actually a pretty decent guy. And I think many people have the perception that I really was that character. Welcome to the two-man power trip of wrestling. I'm your host, JP John Paz. With me today is a very special guest. He is a legendary trainer, excuse me, trainer and former wrestler. You may know him as a killer Kowalski prodigy, of course, a chaotic wrestling trainer as well. He is Mr. Mike Hollow. Mike, welcome to the two-man power trip. How are you doing? Hey, thanks for having me on tonight. Greatly appreciate it, and I'm glad we were able to connect. What has been going on in your world? What have you been up to? Oh, there's all sorts of stuff going on up here in the New England area. I'm currently involved with a new wrestling school that's just getting off the ground called Next Gen Pro Wrestling Center that's located in Manchester, New Hampshire. So I've been spending my time there on Tuesday nights working with a new group of students and um, just trying to point them in the right direction, both in the ring and out of the ring of all the um, how to, you know, make sure that they're, you know, doing things right in the world of professional wrestling. And you have quite a background in that. So that's interesting. You're starting up a, uh, another new school. Uh, you know, basically, it's it's a school that's run by um, a gentleman by the name of Bud Browning. And um, so he's had aspirations to open a school. And, um, and at the time, I really wasn't doing too much. And I had reached out to him and just wanted to see if um, he was interested in uh, connecting and have or any help. And uh, he welcomed me aboard. And so... Basically, I'm just trying to take my experiences from Killer Kowalski's and the Chaotic Training Center and um, just trying to share that um, information to kind of, you know, point him in the right direction as well with his students and his business to, um, you know, get him off the ground and um, going in the right direction. So, um, you know, ultimately he becomes successful. As far as your methods and your, you know, your training I guess, uh, wherewithal, like, how would you describe like your, your ideas and your methods and the way you train the guys? I think, you know, um, you know, one of the analogies that I've always used, it's like building a house. And, um, you know, I think it's one of the things that we miss today in the world of training, um, in professional wrestling, a lot of schools, they want to, I guess they want to put the roof on before they put they, before they, you know, pour the foundation, so for me, it's really getting into the weeds and, um, you know, it's the little things of, you know, learning how to tie up, you know, your in-ring movements, uh, learning how to do your forward rolls, back pumps, um, and just really just um, creating an environment with, where there's a true level of understanding of uh, what we should be doing opposed to with what we shouldn't be doing. And as that foundation, you know, is building and, and uh, going along in the right direction, it really allows students to, you know, build upon that, to, um, keep them in the right place, both mentally and physically. 
what's like the approach to, to doing that and like training the guys? Is it just like back to basics? Is it making sure that they know everything 20 times over before they start really getting involved and mixed into that matches? You know, it's it's interesting. You know, I kind of it's. Uh, I was listening to an interview the other day, and they were talking about the Patriots quarterback, you know, Mac Jones, and you know, with what the coaching staff is putting on his plate from a development standpoint. And for me, it's um, it's kind of like the same thing because every student that comes to the school, both male or female, you know, their learning habits or styles are uniquely different. Some guys are more hands-on than others. Um, some are grasping it just a little bit more quickly than others. Um, some of them from, you know, have more of an athleticism, athleticism background. And so it allows them to pick up, you know, certain things quicker than others. So it's just really, you know, having a good understanding with where your students are at, you know, with what you can put on their plate uh, from a development standpoint. And um, so again, there's, you know, a level of confidence that's allowing them to grow and not with where it becomes information overload with where, you know, they're becoming discouraged. So it's just really understanding with where they're at and um, and also being able to challenge them in a healthy way um, to make sure that they're, you know, going in the right direction. With the guys today, why do you think it is like a different approach than there used to be as far as like the foundation not really being there? I think um, – it's interesting. It's it's a good. It's a great question. Um, you know, this, the business itself has changed from, you know, the '70s, the '80s, and '90s to where we're at today. But you know, one of the things that will never change in our industry is is the basics. You know, that will never go away. Um, so for guys and girls that that are aspiring to go on to do bigger and better things, such as WWE or um, um, other major promotions throughout the country, they still um, need to, you know, have that foundation because I'll give you an example. If you were to be looked at at the PC in Florida for WWE, they wouldn't be really paying attention to your, you know, your high spots or so forth and so on. They just really want to know that, you know, you're fundamentally sound. They can invest in you from, um, if you're coachable, having a good attitude. So, all those things are still on the forefront, but the glitz and glamour of the business has changed. So you still need to be a good in-ring mechanic and you still need to be coachable and you still need to be a good student. Do you think that for some reason these guys see like, you know, crazy high spots or all these crazy matches and they don't realize you have to have the basics before you can start doing that stuff. They almost want to skip the line and just start doing crazy things. Yeah, it's, um, it's a it's a it's a problem that you know talent sees today that they think that's what's, what's going to get them noticed. Um, there's schools I would imagine throughout the country that take that same approach as well, um, but they're really doing a disservice. It, it's like with any professional sport, you know, baseball, football, hockey. It really goes back to um, do you know are you fundamentally solid? in all aspects of your business that are going to allow you to be noticed for the right way, opposed to um, not knowing how to tie up properly, not, not knowing how to get up off the mat, not knowing how to feed or bump and sell uh, or register, uh, facial expressions, body language, timing, um, you know, all of those things really come into play. So if there's a lack of or a level of um, not good understanding, you're discrediting, you know, you're hurting your chances of, you know, being able to, you know, to move forward. When you see guys that, you know, aren't really focused or not really working on the basics and fundamentals, like how do you approach that? Uh, you know, for me, um, you know, I'm always trying to create a, a connection with my students. And, um, you know, one of the things, you know, that I've learned over the period of time. So I had the opportunity to start teaching with Walter probably back in, late 94, 1994, 1995. Um, and as time has progressed into where I'm at now, you know, my coaching style and philosophy has changed with where it's more of a connection with where I was basically being barked at, you know, old school mentality and, and realizing today that students are different. So you've got to take a different approach. It's just really being able to explain to them in a positive way, you know, with what we're looking for and why and having or creating a level of understanding that, um, 
you know, you should be looking at things from this perspective. And, you know, here are some of the reasons why. And I'm, I try to explain some real life experiences that so they kind of put it in perspective from that standpoint. So where did you I know, obviously, Killer Kowalski, but where did you break in? I guess it would be Massachusetts. Yeah. So what had happened, I'd come off the uh, working for WWF at the time, spending two years with them working on the ring crew and traveling all around the country and really being able to see the ins and outs of the business, you know, behind the scenes and out in front and kind of, so I really kind of gave me a leg up from really the level of understanding them. And then um, I grew up in the next town over from where Walter Kowalski had his wrestling school in, in Malden, Mass. So um, I always aspired to go down that path. And so uh, there it was on 170 Pleasant Street, Malden, Mass. I ventured up the stairs of Kowalski's wrestling school um, nervous and scared and intimidated and uh, I opened the door and there's this ominous figure Walter Kowalski larger than life and just an intimidating guy and I started my time with him and so from 92 to 2000 basically Walter and I were attached at the hip and um, he was running shows I was teaching his classes and um, so it was very it was um, I was very fortunate to be able to connect with Walter how do you kind of get that relationship where it's so strong that you're connected with him for all those years? Um, I think, you know, for Walter and I, um, he saw my passion for what I was trying to do. And um, I was also having the opportunity to go back and forth and doing some dojo stuff at the WWF in Connecticut at the time. And so I was bringing back some of the philosophies and teaching styles and um, drills you know, that the Dr. Toms, Bruce Pritchard, Jim Cornette, Dory Funk, Pat Patterson um, were looking for, you know, and they were showing us from a curriculum standpoint or a training standpoint. And, um, you know, Walter and I just kind of just had that real close bond and um, he trusted me. I trusted him and we did business on a handshake and um, you know, I wouldn't be doing with what I'm doing today or talking to you if it really wasn't for Walter giving me an, an opportunity back then to do with what I love. When, you know, you're doing that thing with Connecticut, I, I do a show with Dr. Tom. We were actually just talking about the Funka Dojo. When you go there, what's like the expectations? Were you just like an assistant trainer? Were you actually wanting to be more? Did you want to work for WB? Like what were you doing at the dojo? So I was invited um, at the time I was, I was invited to the, you know, the dojos as a talent. And, um, so I was doing dark matches and, um, there was also a, a local promotion that was running shows with the office as well. And I was having opportunities to work with different stars that the office was sending what's at this, at, um, for this local promotion. So they knew of me and I knew of them. And um, so it was a relationship from that standpoint. But my ultimate goal is I wanted to work for WWF at the time, full time as a professional wrestler. And uh, that, you know, didn't come about, but I was able to gain, you know, just a tremendous amount of training experience, you know, from the likes of the guys that I had mentioned to you and just um, took that and ran with it and tried to put Kowalski's in a better place. And, um, you know, Walter was appreciative of that. So you have a great relationship with Killer Kowalski. What is he like really like though? Because obviously, you know, one of the biggest names of all time, absolute legend. But what is he really like? Is he really crazy? Is he really gonna, you know, grab you by the stomach and just start turning into knots? I mean, what is Walter really like in real life? You know, it's funny. You know, um, Walter, for the perception that you just or the things that you just mentioned, completely opposite. And uh, you know, he used to say to me, you know, Mike. I'm known as a villain, but I really, but I'm really an angel. And, uh, he was ever so gentle, a kind man, warm, um, giving, um, just, um, you know, I, I couldn't say enough about him, you know, you know, generous to my kids, you know, he, you know, family stuff that he'd come to for me and, um, my kids and just completely opposite from what you would see on TV, you know, behind the scenes as a person. So, um, he played his part, extremely well you figure he was a guy that was on top for 20 years as a champion and um iconic in our business you know and still household name you know even today in 2020 you know one so with him 
he's one of those guys i need mean, like old school guys like it would be keep kayfabe right i mean they would totally he wants you to protect the business and keep it old school in, in that extent yeah. yeah at that time he was very protective and old school and um you know didn't really share much until you know you were around for a while and he got the sense that you were going to stick around and um so you know you had to put your dues in with them you had to um show show him that you were committed to with what you were being and what you were trying to get involved with um and once you you know garnered that respect and trust from him you know your relationship ultimately would change and um i saw guys i mean i've you know over the years i've seen so many people come and go just not realizing the amount of work that it takes to get to that level let alone wwe or um even you know to be able to work on an independent show it's just this tremendous amount of things that you've got to understand and be able to put together when you know you're breaking in with him and really gaining his trust what does that mean to you are you thinking like oh my god this is killer kowalski i mean are you kind of getting the the gravity of you know the legend that is killer kowalski yeah um you know i was just really fortunate and i think Walter, for some strange reason, I don't know, just took a liking to me. And I, you know, just there was a, a lot of, you know, I mean, he loved me and I loved him. So it was just um, something that was just very healthy over the, you know, over a long period of time. And, um, you know, from what I have today and, you know, with what I'm, you know, with what I'm able to do is a privilege. You know, like I said earlier, it was basically be all because of him, because if he never, you know, gave me the nod or gave me that opportunity i wouldn't be you know teaching professional wrestling today or have had the opportunities that i've had in the past so who are some of the guys that you were a part of training you and him um well there was perry satin that was there at the time you know there was john cronus there was giant ron reese that you know was affiliated with big john uh, big john stud um I mean, there's a laundry list of guys, you know, there was the Chris Nowinski's, there was the Aaron Stevens, obviously, you know, Hunter, um, Hunter was there. Um, uh, who else? Um, Frankie Kazarian um, came all the way out from California. Um, this is a, a laundry list of guys. Uh, China was there when I was there. So the school was really loaded with a, a full house of talent. What did you think of Triple H when he's there? Like, did you see huge star potential? Like, is it tough to tell, like, when these guys are first there that, hey, I see big star? Or is it like, that's almost impossible? You can't really figure that out that, then and there. I think for, you know, with Paul, I mean, obviously he was 6'6", 275, 285 pounds, you know, had a great physique, um, was, again, very uh, dedicated at that time to doing with what he was doing. Um, but really to be able to say to myself back then, looking at it, um, to where he ended up today, if you, if you really think about it, it's an evolution. It's a process of just, you know, things falling into place, his diligence of being committed to, you know, with what he's involved with, um, his level of understanding, his mindset, uh, his perseverance, and, um, just really, you know, sticking with it and, um, uh, just really allowing himself to grow. And along the way, you know, there's a lot of people, you know, that, you know, a lot of top stars will tell you there's a lot of people that helped him along the way. So um, I know one of the times, you know, he had said to me, you know, Terry Tiller did a, a lot for him. And when he went to WCW to kind of help him develop even furthermore for his level of understanding. So it's tough in the beginning, but you just kind of see their roadmap and they just kind of just flourish and continue to push themselves to do better. What did you think of China at that point? Because, you know, she's breaking into a man's world, that, you know, so to speak. Obviously, she's a lot bigger than the, than the normal female. But what did you think about her breaking in? Uh, again, you know, she shows up at the school. Um She's working hard. She's, you know, she's putting in a time three or four days a week. She had a hell of a physique. Um, you know, she was doing everything that everyone else was doing. Um, you know, she was getting opportunities. She was knocking on doors. And uh, Walter had called the office for her. And, and I forget who he spoke to, 
but said, hey, I've got someone here that you might be interested in. And I believe he might have talked to Shane McMahon. And uh, that really kind of got the balls, you know, the ball rolling. And then she had went to a house show and she had come across Hunter and, and uh, Shawn Michaels and the kind of, you know, the rest was history from there. Do you ever look at a talent and say, oh, I got to call WB or I got to call somebody immediately like, you know, you see the it factor or the, the charisma or, you know, something jumping off the page. Do you see that immediately or is that something that, that takes time to develop? It takes time. It's, um, you know, there's so much going on in the, the first three months, you know, six months of a student's development. And um, you, you'll see bits and glitz, you know, bits and pieces of it uh, that will really start to, you know, come about in, with confidence and the things that they're able to do in their personality, some more so than others. Um, I can tell you a quick funny story. I was doing a thing at my old school with uh, Pat Patterson and Rock and Goldberg. And um, so we had class in the morning and all the students had left and we were waiting for them to show up. And so Pat had had shown up and Goldberg showed up first and he was kind of quiet and kept to himself. And then uh, Rocky had showed up and, uh, you know, talk about night and day, you know, he walked into the room and, to your point of having the it factor and personality, he was larger than life and just something, you know, to this day, I, you know, I haven't forgotten. It just resonates. Um, and you can kind of see with why, you know, he became the biggest star, uh, you know, you know, today in the business. So were you helping them put together their, their match? They were about to have, I guess, a backlash. No. So, um, so what had happened is I ended up becoming friends with Pat Patterson and, and uh, who is obviously who, you know, and a friend of mine was a referee for the WWF. His name was Freddie Spotter and uh, another mutual friend of Louis Dendero. So Pat knew I was working on the independence. He knew I was teaching at Kowalski's. He knew I had a school, you know, the chaotic training center. Um, and we had developed a, a mutual friendship over a period of time. And um, he had called me the night before and said, Hey, would it be possible for us to use the school to put together the pay-per-view match? back in 2005 at the Worcester Centrum. And, uh, you know, obviously I said yes. So Pat was the agent assigned by Vince. So it was myself and um, one of my assistant trainers. And, um, you know, we worked with those guys. And, you know, Pat helped Rock and and, uh, Goldberg put their maps together. And we were there just to either, you know, help them go through different scenarios and situations. But uh, it was pretty cool in uh, them being able to see it the next night on TV. Wow, so what's that like when you're you're kind of you know helping them lay out this big match? Well, it really kind of it shows you how they really get into the, you know the finer things and how they're really trying to garner uh, attention and emotion and why it's so pivotal to you know put you know put certain spots in, in certain pieces or at certain times and you know in the course of the match and with where the you know with where they really want the people to be from an emotional standpoint. Um, and, you know, watching Pat and, you know, his mindset and, and now, you you know, you can kind of figure out why he's, he was called a genius. And, you know, Rocky was very, you know, vocal and, you know, putting his pieces of the puzzle together as well. So it was pretty fascinating and uh, a good learning experience and kind of helps you, you know, when you're working with younger talent, you know, thinking about, the, you know, the finer things as they were showing us that, you know, that, you know, that afternoon. When... That's going on. Are, are you thinking in your head like, oh, I'm not going to steal it, but, you know, the way wrestling goes, oh, I should take that and implement that. Do you do that a lot where you're thinking like, oh, I'm going to implement that or I like that and you know, basically help the, the next guy who you're training? Well, you know, you know, just to, to share with you. So, you know, me being able to have a relationship with Walter and, and guys like Pat and, you know, being, able, you know, very fortunate to have, you know, you know, friends like them and being able to get information and access to them. And, you know, one of the things that both of them always share with me was to always give back. So um, I knew I was always getting, you know, good, good, solid information that I could send, you know, give to my students. Um, and that's kind of how I've always approached it with where I'd want to go back and kind of make their lives easier. There's nothing worse being in a room with where the lights are off and a talent's trying to figure out which way to go and, um, so if I can create clarity or a path for them to be successful, 
because with what I've been able to take from others, like, you know, from a Pat or a Walter or a Freddie, it's, um, you know, it's, it's with what I would always want to do. What do you think is the best piece of advice you got from Killer Kowalski? Don't ever quit and be coachable. When you're, you know, when you're with him and, and you're, and you're training guys, what does he say about certain guys? Does he kind of confide in you like, oh, this Triple H guy, you know, he's got it. This guy doesn't have it. Like, does he do that? Um, he never said that about Hunter. I mean, obviously he would gravitate towards guys and girls that he thought that there was something about them that um, he wanted to give additional attention to because he saw their um, their drive, their ability, their dedication um, you know, then there were guys and girls that would just come to the school and, you know, they'd be there for a little bit and then they would disappear. So, um, he wouldn't say much, but you could see that with where he would pay, you know, a different level of attention to certain students in a good way. So how do you know when the student is ready? I mean, is it a certain set of time? Is it something you need to see? Like, how do you know when a guy is actually ready? Well, every talent's different. You know, there are guys and girls that can end up, you know, going out and having a relatively respectful match um, in six months. Some guys and girls, it might take a year. Um, I think for me, it's being able to watch talent and they're able to put, uh, you know, pieces of the puzzle together in a manner with where it it's, has some logical sense to it. Um, they're thinking about the audience um, and with where they want to be and the story that they want to tell. Um, there's uh, real clarity in their work from their execution and how they go about executing certain things, you know, during the course of the match. And, you know, their work is clean and their footwork is, is proficient. Um, and, you know, the other part of it, too, is that when they come out of the ring, you can sit down and have a conversation with them and, you um, it can be um, with where they're being coachable and, you know, they're taking constructive criticism with where you're pointing out things that that might have not have been the right time to do that certain situation. And um, there's a good level of understanding. With, you know, breaking into and starting chaotic wrestling, how, like, how did that happen? Because obviously, you know, you're, you're kind of doing that on your own, right? You're basically setting it up on your own. So chaotic wrestling came about, uh, at first there was um, chaotic wrestling, which was uh, a company formed by five gentlemen, five partners. And um, at the time, um, I had just built a house and um, gotten married and had my first child on the way. So there was a time with where Walter and I ended up separating for a brief period of time with where I had needed Walter to, uh, we all, like I said earlier, we always done, had done business on a handshake, but I needed to have a sense of protection for me and my family. If God forbid, if something was to happen to one of the students. So I asked him to form an LLC and we could never, you know, get to where we needed to be. So Walter and I ended up taking a break for about, um, six to eight months and um, the guys from chaotic wrestling knew that I was available. And obviously I still wanted to teach. Um, so they approached me. And um, so in 2001, basically the chaotic training center um, started and um, is still running today, but under a different name. And, um, and then probably I would say a year after chaotic training center opened um, funny story, my doorbell rang at my house and um, I opened the door and, you know, there was Walter with Teresa, his wife. And um, obviously I welcomed him, welcomed him into my home and um, we sat and talked and he says, I realized that I had made a mistake. Um, And he, you know, I said, Walter, there was no mistake, no hard feelings. And so he ended up closing his facility and he ended up joining me at the uh, chaotic training center. And, um, you know, we were back on board together and uh, rightfully so. Wow. Very cool. Look at that. Yeah, it was difficult. I wasn't, I wasn't very popular in new England because I always looked at the guy that was trying to put Walter out of business, but, um, 
you know, Walter and I and Teresa and, and at the time my wife knew with what was going on behind the scenes. And um, like I said, Walter, it wasn't a formidable company from a legal standpoint and i just needed to have a sense of protection so it was kind of it was more of a business decision than a personal thing and um and so when walter showed up back at my house um i was ecstatic and you know we sat down and we talked and you know and ended up back in with where we needed to be with chaotic i feel like a lot of Big names and, you know, guys today, obviously, in WBTV and NXT, a lot of names came out of Chaotic Wrestling, right? I mean, Hanson, Champa, yep. uh, Champa, Biff, Kofi, Biff. Um, so I, those are all the students that I, you know, was very proud of training. So from Kofi to Biff, um, Chad Wicks, Palmer Cannon, um, Tommaso, who, you know, is an incredible story, uh, Todd Smith, Hanson, Johnny, Ivar, um, Brian Malonis with the Ring of Honor, uh, John Walters, um, you know, the list goes on. It was a factory a while, for a while with where Sasha Banks, um, in the school was just, you know, we had a great re- working relationship with WWE. Um, so it was, it was, we were doing well. Is that one of the things where you almost get lucky that those guys are in that area or, or are they seeking you out? Like, are you recruiting them in? Um, no, I think from a geographical standpoint, I think New England's always been a hotbed for professional wrestling and logistically the school with where it was located. It just was a matter of convenience. So there's a lot of guys that live in this area and, um, it just worked out in, you know, their behalf and my behalf and, um, you know, we were just trying to teach professional wrestling the right way. And so they benefited and we benefited and it just really worked out well for everybody. So with that, it's like almost like, wow, like one after another, after another of all these great names, is it like almost like word of mouth too, where it's like, Hey, you know, this person trained there. Oh, that that's the key to getting to WWE. You know what I mean? Like, they think like that's the door in. Yeah. I mean, I, I think a lot of people, you know, because we're obviously we were really trying to push that as hard as we could from a marketing standpoint. Um, and, and then reality sets in that uh, all of those guys and girls just work diligently. And um, so for those people that were coming in and having this sense that, well, this is the way in, but now they've got to put the time and the work in and, Again, it's one of those things where people sign up and, you know, they're gone after a month, two months, three months, and uh, because they just don't realize what, with what it really takes to get to the next level. And, um, you know, all of the, the guys and girls that you had mentioned, um, all of their stories are uniquely different, um, some easier than others, but other ones with where just uh, painstaking. And uh, I really admire their perseverance and dedication because, you um, a lot of times they were hearing no more often than not, but they just never give, you know, never gave up and kept pushing. When they make it and, you know, obviously take over WB or whatever, is that your goal? Like to make sure that they make it WB or, or just make it wherever they want to make it? Like if they just want to wrestle, that's fine too. But are you thinking like, Oh, that'd be great if I can help everybody get to the E. Um, so I've always looked at it more so when I had the chaotic training center, because um, I I took a different approach. One of the things that always stuck with me is that I always knew in my mind that not every guy and girl that I was going to encounter was going to be able to get to the next level. So it was kind of almost like a 360 approach with where um, obviously I wanted to teach them the art of professional wrestling, but I also wanted to instill upon them a level of confidence, self-respect, um, how to carry themselves, how to conduct themselves from a business standpoint, you know, how to be, you know, uh, good people in society. So the school is almost with where um, a, a breeding ground for, you know, how to make successful people both in and out of the ring. So that was really kind of my goal um, with where I could make an impact in society as well. Um, and that's what I was really probably the most proud of. Do you think that not everybody's going to make it, but if they want to train, they should train? Because I know there, there's some guys out there that'll 
you know, not take everybody's money, but they'll just take the money to train knowing the person won't make it. Are you like very honest with them? Like, hey, you might not make it to WWE, but you can wrestle in the Indies. Like, how do you approach that? I never make any promises to anyone that, you know, that they're going to end up at the highest level. Um, what I'll do is just I'll, I'll lay the foundation for them. And, you know, there are times where I've had to have those heart-to-heart conversations with talent that, um, hey, you know, you're best suited for working on a local indie company, you know, maybe once, twice a month if there's a spot for you on the show and others with where now they can maybe spread their wings out and work in different places. And then there's that small, small percentage that, you know, get looked at and, and um, get an opportunity to go to the next level. So it's it's hit or miss. With you and in the training, I feel like so many good guys have, have come out of that school and there's been so many names. Is there, you know, not favorites, but is there ones that really stick out? Like, I'm so happy they made it or I didn't think they'd make it and they made it. Like, do certain ones stick out to you? Um, No, I think what probably what bothers me the most is probably a, a couple of them that should have had the opportunity because they were so talented it didn't get to the next level. Um, that's the probably the piece that sits with me because they just, you know, they worked ever so hard and either from a timing standpoint or not in the right place or not the right thing was needed from the office. Um, they didn't get that opportunity. Um, so, but that's kind of how, that's, that's probably the piece that sits with me the most is the ones that didn't, that should have. I know. Dr. Tom always says, like, Brackus. I'm surprised yeah. he didn't make it because, you know, like, he just looked like a star. And he's on all those um, magazine covers and this and that. And then it's like, but the, the Rock made it. So it's, it's you know, and they're from the same class. But it's funny, everyone thought Brackus. He had the look. He had this. And he didn't make it. I mean, that, that's what happens sometimes in wrestling. It's, you know, a lot of it's the intangibles. It's those little things that really that, you know, people are just, you know, gravitate towards talent for certain reasons, um, whether it's what, what they're doing in the ring and how they're doing it or how they're saying it. Um, and it's just with where every talent's different in how they, you know, are able to connect with the audience, you know, both in the ring and out of the ring from a character standpoint. So, um, so you you just you just never know how it's going to play out and how they're positioned as well i mean that's the other piece that comes into it and you know is the office doing the right thing with them from a, from um how they're being portrayed and with what they're looking for so there's a lot that really goes into it and some guys and girls are lucky and other ones that maybe should have stayed but just it didn't fit at that right time the chemistry wasn't there and the audience didn't buy in and you know they end up parting ways unfortunately Anybody you could think of that you're surprised that that didn't make it? Maybe even a guy you trained with too, like a, like a Steve Bradley. Is there anybody either you trained with or trained that you that you felt like you should have made it but didn't? Yeah, there was um, I got there was three guys. Um, two guys worked for Ring of Honor. John Walters was a hell of a talent here in New England, um, working with me in Chaotic. Um, the other gentleman was a by the name of Nick Daly. He worked under the name of Arch Kincaid. And the other one was uh, Brian, Lo- Brian Malonis, who was a real great big man who was uh, currently working for Ring of Honor. Um, those three guys really come to my mind that I always felt that, you know, should have had that opportunity at the next level. Kind of just rewinding back just a little bit. When you were doing, when you were actually working in wrestling, you did a lot of um, enhanced matches, you said, right? Like you worked there. So, like, when did you work there? What was like what year to what year? As far as in ring, uh, ninety, probably ninety eight, uh, ninety eight, ninety seven, ninety eight, up to probably two thousand. So, enhancement, doing some house shows for them, doing dojo shows, um, all during that time. TV, so forth. Do you remember some of the matches you had? Like, do you remember wrestling like JBL? And, oh, yeah. yeah. And... JBL. Yep. JBL, Steve Blackman, Gangrel, um, worked with Al Snow, um, Tito, uh, Martel, 
um, Nikolai. I mean, so many of them. Uh, but JL, JBL distinctly, that was that was a rough five minutes. <laughs> was he a little snug with you? Yeah, he's uh, well, six seven, six eight, three hundred pounds. Can can move ever so quick. Strong as an ox. And I remember one time he picked me up so quick and ended up going for a body slam. And I was like, probably the fastest I've ever been picked up in my life. Strong guy. It's very strong. Got uh, clothesline from hell and. But they were all great to work with. I mean, all of them were just, you know, super professional. Uh, always took care of me. Um, always a great learning experience to be able to, you know, get in the ring with those type of guys. Um, um, just, you know, there's so many takeaways. And then being able to take those experiences and bring them back to, you know, the local guys that I was working with from a development standpoint and, uh, you know, why they do certain things at certain time was also – you know, a huge benefit for me helping, you know, other guys and girls get ahead. With that and like being there at, at that point of, in time, are you like thinking you're closer to getting that contract or are you just thinking, you know, like it's not really long-term thinking of like, I want a WB contract. And you see you want to be WB wrestler, but were you thinking you were close to getting like a developmental contract at that point? I thought I was. I mean, I thought I was on the radar, and um, you know, I often scratched my head: Was I 20 pounds too light? Did I not have a certain look? Should I have been 260 instead of 240? Um, should I have colored my hair differently? Should I have had a different persona? Um, not the right time with what they might have been looking for something else. I mean, there was a, a whole host of things, but um, but I. You know the the great thing out of out of all of it, I gravitated towards being able to teach, um, and that's something that's you know near and dear to me. With where it's such a powerful thing to be able to watch a guy or girl from the infancy stage of their you know training into with how they evolve over you know three months, six months, nine months to a year, both in the in the ring and out of the ring from their confidence and how they carry themselves and you know, the success that they're able to garner uh, both, you know, professionally, personally, you know, those are the things that, you know, that I can't put a monetary figure on, but those are the things that I'm probably most proud of. When you look back, even further back, like breaking in, like how did you get in WB as far as just like ring crew? Like how did that even come about? So I had just finished up at a community college, you know, trying to get my degree in criminal justice. And uh, I was going to the Boston Garden religiously uh, once a month to watch the matches. And at that particular time, WCW was in the town, uh, was in the garden running a show. And um, I ended up becoming friends with the referee at the time who's working for WWF. His name was Freddie Spotter. And um, again, we just ended up, you know, hitting it off, becoming friends and, uh, to this day, we're we're still close and talk. And um, he had said to me, "Hey, you know, at the time they were looking for some help." And I said, "I didn't really have much going on." And again, just being that little kid, wanted being, you know, wanting to be around it. I said, "Sure." So um, my first job for them was taking the brother love set from Stamford, Connecticut, and driving it across the country in a U-Haul truck to California, and uh, going to TV, and uh, then the next couple of days back in Boston at the garden, sitting in the dressing room, going from watching it on TV or being in the stands and getting dressed next to Hulk Hogan. Wow. That's so, gotta be an awesome uh, feeling. Awesome moment. Yeah. And you know, and then, you know, there was another time, my first time I was able to wrestle in the fleet center. I'm under the jumbotron. And I remember saying to myself here, you know, five years old saying to myself, I want to do this. And, here I am in front of 20,000 people, you know, saying, so how the hell did I get here? Yeah, that is really cool. And it was all because of uh, encouragement for Mr. Fuji. Yeah. So when I was on the road, um, you, know, I, you know, you become friends with different guys and traveling around and, you know, that becomes your other family. And um, Fuji, for some strange reason, you know, he liked me and I liked him. And, you know, so I used to, you know, roll around in the ring before the shows. And, you know, he'd be at the arena early. And he just said to me at one point, you know, you should go learn how to learn how to wrestle. And I said, well, yeah, that's what I want to do. And on the flip side of it, 
Tony Gurriel wanted me to become a ring announcer. Oh, wow. That would have been an interesting uh, career choice. Yeah, exactly. So I opted to doing with what I wanted to do, but um, it was funny that Tony says, you know, you'd be good at a ring announcer. And I said, nah, I'm going to, I'm going to try my hand at wrestling. And here we are, you know, 20, 30 years later. And as far as uh, the you know, WrestleFest 88, you, you were uh, you were part of that setting up the steel cage with uh, Hogan and Andre. I mean, it's a pretty memorable event, pretty big time show, especially back then. Yeah, that was uh, that was back at the uh, Milwaukee Brewers baseball stadium. That was a, a huge piece uh, being involved with WrestleMania 14 at the Fleet Center with Rock and Pat Patterson and Ken Shamrock um, doing the uh, doing a Super Bowl commercial for WWE or F at the time. It was a lot of fun. So really a lot of, you know, great moments that I've been able to have over the years. Um, so it's, it's really been exciting for me and um, very fortunate to say the least. That is very, very cool. Now, as we hit the wind down, head towards the finish, do you still keep up with like current wrestling on TV? I mean, obviously, you know, you're training current guys, but do you keep up with like the current product? I watch. Um, probably not as much as I used to just, you know, with, you know, life and kids and work. And, um, so I'm, you know, I, I do a lot of stuff watching YouTube and, um, I'll watch WWE, um, on occasion when I can, um, just to kind of see with who's doing what, and then also paying attention to what's, you know, with some of the guys that I have trained in the past and to, you know, with what they're doing in the, you know, in their careers and, you know, how they're doing and so forth. Anybody you're, uh, you know, you're most proud of? Anybody you see that that, that got somewhere, you know, that blew your, your even your expectations out of the water? Um, probably, probably three of them. Um, Todd Smith, Ivar, right now because of all the things that he had, has gone through, um, really comes to mind. Tommaso, um, same thing. Hell of a, you know, hell of a story. Um, Kofi, uh, another one that's had great success. Uh, a little bit different from Ivar and Tommaso, um, but I look at all of them with their, you know, for their perseverance and longevity, and just being able to continue to never give up and just to really, you know, pursue and follow their dreams. And um, and probably more importantly, they're, they're all great guys, and they didn't forget where they came from. Now, as far as you and your wrestling career, do you have like? Favorite matches or favorite opponents when you're like you're looking back, like wow, I love you know working that guy or you know just really some of the, your favorite times in in the ring. Uh, you know, I had the opportunity to work with Double J a lot um, when they were doing the dojos up sh- shows up here in New England. He was always a lot of fun to work with. Just um, Tito was great to work with. Um, uh, Rick Martel. Um, those are, those are something, but double J was, he, he, he was a lot of fun and Al Snow was great to work with as well. So looking back and, and just thinking of everything, what is like your biggest takeaway, you know, for just from training and being with the guys and being around Killer Kowalski, like what's your biggest takeaway of like the, you know, philosophy or psychology and wrestling of, of where you want it to be or where it should be? I think the biggest thing for me that it's probably the most important, um, you have to make people want to watch, but there has to be a connection. So it's an emotional piece and you have to have the audience emotionally connect to with what you're doing in the ring. Um, so it carries out outside the ring with where people want to continue to watch doing with what you're doing. Um, and there's going to be good versus evil and that's going to be portrayed in the mat in a manner with where, it's believable. It's credible. It's logical. It's the same as if you were watching a movie. Um, it's got to make sense. And um, because if not, people are just, they're going to lose interest and it's our job to keep interest. And it's, again, it, it's not the big stuff. It's the little thing. It's the eyes, it's the body language, it's the movements, it's the facial expressions, um, all those things that really separates, you know, the good ones from the great ones. What kind of keeps you going as far as training? Because, I mean, we're talking about a bunch of guys over a long period of time that you've trained, and obviously a lot of guys made it to WB. But what kind of keeps you going? Oh, I just love professional wrestling. It's, um, 
you know, it's one of those things that it's, it's in your blood. And um, even though I'm only doing it one day a week, I wish I could do it more, but you know, it's just, I'm, I'm not there. It's, it's something that will never go away. It's, um, it's, it's probably one of the Tuesdays are probably one of my most exciting days of the week with where I know that I'm going to be able to go and interact and be in an environment with where, you know, I'm making a difference both in the, both in the ring and out of the ring with, you know, potential students. And, um, so it's, um, it's contagious and I can't shake it. And I don't, I don't foresee being able to shake it. What do you think, like looking back and let's say you're retired years from now and stuff, what's like the stamp that you left behind that your students are going to say, Oh, Mike, Mike was, you know, this, or Mike was that, what do you think that, you know, they're going to say about you as far as like your career and you being a great trainer? Um, I was honest, um, respectful, and, you know, I, I cared about my students and always wanted them to be in a great place, both in the ring and out of the ring. And I really looked after their, you know, well-being, um, both professionally and personally. And, you know, that I was a guy to go that I, you know, that they could come to and, um, you know, my straight shooter and, um, and honest would probably be the biggest piece. So where can everybody kind of find you today in, in the school you're working at and you know, maybe get some information and start training with a guy that trained a ton of WB superstars through the years? So currently I'm working with the Next Gen Pro Wrestling Center, which is located in Manchester, New Hampshire, on 190 Elm Street. Um, it's a great little facility that's just opened up probably about three months in, and um, I'm there on Tuesday nights from four to seven and uh, working with right now, anywhere between 15 to 20 students, both male and female. And um, we're just trying to clear the path or create the path for um, potential independent stars and WWE superstars and um, good people in society. So there's a lot of um, fun stuff happening at the next gen pro wrestling center in Manchester. So if you're interested, look us up on Facebook and um, uh, look forward to seeing all of you. Right. Awesome stuff, Mike. Appreciate all the time tonight, but thank you. And definitely um, keep training those future WB stars for sure. Thank you for having me. Greatly appreciate it. And uh, looking forward to talking to you again in the future. Have a great night. Thank you. You too. Take care. Bye-bye. This has been a John Paz Power Trip production in conjunction with the two-man power trip of wrestling. You can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Two Man Power Trip. You can check us out on Facebook. You can subscribe on YouTube. You can go to patreon.com slash tmptempire to become a patron. And also check out the website tmptempire.com and buy a shirt at prowrestlingtees.com. Two Man Power Trip, where the power lies brother.